Chapter Thirteen of Some Everyday Folk and Dawn by Miles Franklin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Various events. The following day was eventful. To begin with, after Andrew had discharged his early morning duties, he was to appear before his grandma for the execution of the sentence she had passed upon him the night before. I was assisting him to dry the parts of the cream separator, a task which had become chronic with me when Carrie shouted from the kitchen, where she was putting in her week. "'Your grandma says not to be long. She's waiting for you.' Andrew unburdened his soul to me. "'Lord, ain't I just in for it. I'll hear how me grandma read me since I was born. I'm dead sick of this born and read business. It would give a bloke the pip. I didn't make myself born, nor want anyone else to do it. There ain't much in being alive,' he said with that pessimism, which, like measles and whooping cough, is indigenous to extreme youth. "'How could I help being red? I didn't ask him to rare me. I didn't make myself a little baby that couldn't help itself, and they needn't have reared me unless they liked. Goodness knows, I'd have rather died like a little pup before his eyes were opened,' he continued so tragically that I took the opportunity of smiling behind his back as he threw out the dishwater. "'Hurry up, your granny is waiting,' called Carrie once more. "'Blow you! You'll have to wait till I'm done,' retorted the boy in a tone the reverse of genial. "'People is always chuckin' at their kids how much they owe them. I'm blowed if ever I can see it. I didn't want em to have me, and don't see why it should be everlastin' through at me.' "'It is a wise provision that youth cannot see what it owes the previous generation. This is a chicken that comes back to roost in heavier years.' "'I wish I had a grandma like Jack Bray's ma.' He nicked over to me when I was after the cows, and Mrs. Bray ain't going to kick up any row about the oranges. She says she never knew of a boy that didn't go into orchards in their young days, and that his dad did, and people don't think no more of a boy picking up a little fruit than they do of picking up a stick. Yet Grandma will tan the hide off of me. she done it once before, and I was stiff for a week. Take a tip from me, Andrew. March into your Grandma bravely. She's the best woman I've seen. You ought to be proud to have such a grandma. She's in the right, and Mrs. Bray's in the wrong. Let her hammer you for all she's worth, and every whack you get feel proud that she's able to give it at her time of life, and I bet when you're a man you'll be telling everyone that you had a grandma who was worth owning. When she leaves off, tell her that this is the last time she'll ever have to do it for anything like that, and see if you don't feel more a man than you ever did before. Promise me that's what you'll do. Is that what you'd do if you was me? he inquired with surprise. "'That's what you'd do if you were me,' I replied with a smile. "'Just try that. Never mind if your grandma does go for you hot and strong.' Andrew wiped the table, wrung out his dishcloth in the backhanded manner peculiar to his sex, hung it on a nail behind the door, dried his hands on his trousers, which for once were not busted up, and with a less rueful expression than he had exhibited for several hours, went forth to meet his grandma. About ten minutes later he returned blubbering, but it was a sunshiny shower, and I did not despise the lad for his tears, for he had a soft nature, and was quite a child despite his big stature and sixteen years. "'Well?' I inquired, recognising that he was anxious to relate his experience. "'She banged away with the strap of the breeching till she was winded.' and then I said I hoped she'd never have to beat me again for acting the goat in other people's gardens that didn't concern me, and she didn't beat me no more then, but I had plenty as it was, 
he said, rubbing his seat and the calves of his legs. Well done. Stick to that and be thankful for such a grandma. She ain't a bad old sort when you come to consider, he said, with that patronage, also an attribute of extreme youth, or unsubdued snobbishness. And when compared, snobbishness and youth have some similar characteristics. Next item on the program was Mr. Paunch, whom Grandma invited to remain to midday dinner, and the old lady being sufficiently human to denounce a swell far more fiercely behind his back than to his face, in consideration of this one's presence, once more entrusted us to sugar our own puddings, regardless of consequences. After luncheon she interviewed him about his niece's health. Mr. Paunch seemed really concerned, and said perhaps she needed to be diverted, and that he would see about a further change, which might prove beneficial. He then put up his eyeglass to inspect Dawn's beauty, and ogling her, attempted to engage her in conversation. But the girl didn't seem at all attracted by him, or thankful for the favours he brought her in the form of an exquisite box of bonbons and the latest song. "'I don't accept presents, thank you,' she said uncompromisingly. "'Do you never make exceptions?' "'Only from people I like very much.' "'Well, I trust I may some day be among the exceptions.' he said, in a gruesome attempt to be ingratiating, but the girl replied, "'Then you hope for impossibilities.' Somewhat disconcerted, though not the least abashed, Mr. Paunch persevered by asking if she ever went to Sydney, and stated the pleasure it would be to him to provide her with tickets for any of the plays, but even this could not overcome her unconquerable horror of the various intemperances suggested by his person, so he had to retreat. Dawn's grandmother remonstrated with her afterwards. "'You ought to be a little more genteel, Dawn, and you could refuse presents just as well. Even if he isn't the takenest old chap, that is not any reason for you to be ungenteel.' "'Well, I don't care,' replied Dawn, whose exquisitely moulded chin, despite an irresistible dimple, was expressive of determination. "'If I was a great old podge, and had a blue nose from swilling and gorging, and was fifty if I was a day, and then went goggling after a young fellow of eighteen, he wouldn't be very civil to me, or be lectured if he spoke to me the way I deserved, and I think these old creatures of men ought to be discouraged by all girls. What sauce for the goose is the same for the gander? Mr. Paunch had not long departed when Mrs. Bray favoured us with a call, so Grandma was spared a pilgrimage to her house. She and Carrie exchanged a stiffly formal greeting, but the visitor beamed upon the remainder of us and seated herself in our midst. "'Oh, I say, ain't it a blessed knock to the men us going to have a vote? He he ha ha! It fairly maddens em to see us getting a bit of freedom, makes em that wild they don't know how to be sneering and nasty enough. Every one of us will just roll up and use our power now we've got it. They've kept our necks under the heel long enough.' "'I wasn't thinking of the vote at present,' said Grandma Clay. "'I was just off to see you about what our noble nibs have been doing in that old Gawling's orchard. "'But I beat Andrew already in case. What did you think of him?' Mrs. Bray put back her handsome head, decorated by an extremely fashionable hat, and laughed boisterously. "'Fancy the old toad running them down. Gave him a bit of a scare, didn't it? "'Old mongrel, to kick up a fuss over a few paltry oranges.' as if we don't all know what boys is. Why, there'd be no chance of rarin' them without touchin' nothin', unless you carted them off to the back blocks where there wasn't no one within reach. I told him what I thought of him. 
"'How dare you?' says I. "'Bring witnesses of this,' said I. Grandma Clay arose. "'Well, if that's your idea of rarin' a family, it ain't mine. "'Why, can't you hear the parson's everlastin' preachin' "'and giving examples of how taking a pin "'has been the start of a feller comin' to the gallows? "'And this is a much worse beginnin' than a pin. "'If the only way of rarin' them not to steal "'was to put em where there was no possibility of stealin' nothing, "'a pretty sort of honesty that would be. "'You might as well say the only way to rare a girl modest "'was to let her never have a chance of being nothing else.' Some people, of course, has different views, but I believe in holding to mine. They brought me up to this time very well. Oh, you are terribly strict. You wouldn't have no peace of mind in your life rare in boys if you cut things so fine as that. Now when women gets the rule, it might become the fashion for men to be more proper. Look here, the men are that mad. Uncle Jake here interrupted her by appearing for four o'clock tea. "'Well, Mr. Sorrel, now the women has come to show you how to do things, "'there might be something done in the country.' "'Nice fools they'll make of themselves,' he sneeringly replied. "'They couldn't make no greater fools of themselves than the men has always done, "'lying in the gutter and breaking their faces,' said Mrs. Bray. "'Wait till the women go at it. They'll fight like cats,' continued Uncle Jake, "'whose power to annoy depended not so much upon what he said as his way of saying it. Dawn chipped into the rescue at this point. "'I'm dead sick of that yarn about women fighting. It's a mean lie. They never fight half as much as men, and girls always love each other more, and are more friendly together than men. The only women who fight with their own sex and call them cats are a few nasty things who are trying to please men by helping them to keep women down and make little of them. And the fools! That sort of meanness never pleases any men, only those that are not worth pleasing.' "'Well, now that women has the vote, they ought to plough and drive the trains "'and let the men sit down inside,' continued Jake. "'For Mrs. Bray descended upon him. "'Yes, and the men ought to come inside and sweep and sew "'and have their health ruined for a man's selfishness "'and be tied to a baby and four or five toddlers "'from six in the morning till ten at night, "'day in and day out, like the women do. "'What do you think, Mr. Ewart?' she inquired of this individual, who had joined the company and awaited the conclusion of her remarks ere he greeted us. "'I think the women ought to vote if they want to. There's nothing to stop them voting and doing their housework as well, and the Lord knows it doesn't matter who they vote for, as all the members are only a pack of skites, after a good billet for themselves. "'Think I'll have a go for it, to see if it would pay better than farming,' he said, with his mouth extended in a laugh that redeemed the weakness of this feature by exhibiting the beauty of a perfect set of teeth. "'What about women having to keep themselves in subjection?' persisted Uncle Jake. This subject apparently lay near his heart. "'I always think that means for them to take care of themselves and not bust over the hard-dragging work that men were meant for,' said Mrs. Bray. "'For I've always noticed that any man who puts his wife to man's work never comes to no good in the finish. If a man can't float his own boat and thinks a woman can keep his and her own end up at the same time, she might as well fold her hands from the start.' as the little she can do will never keep things going and only pave the way for doctor's bills. He might try to argue it, but if you believe the Bible, you can see there in every page that women ain't meant only to be under men, said the gallant Jake. It ain't a case of not believing in the Bible. It's only that we ain't fools enough to believe all the ways people twists it to suit theirselves. Men as talks that way is always the sort would be in a benevolent asylum only for some woman keeping em from it. 
said Grandma, coming to the rescue. Cowards always drag in the Bible to back themselves up far more than proper people does. And there's always one thing as strikes me in the Bible, and that is, when God was going to send his son down in human form, he considered a woman fit to be his mother. But there wasn't a man living fit to be his father. I reckon that's a slap in the face from the Almighty hisself that ought to make men more carefuler when they try to make little of women. Even Uncle Jake collapsed before this, and Mrs. Bray ceased contention and veered her talk to gossip. "'Young Walker has been chosen by the Opposition League in Nanoon, and we're going to form a committee at once and work for him. Ada Grosvenor is going to form a society for educating women how to vote.' "'Ada Grosvenor!' exclaimed Grandma. "'I thought she would be too much of a upholder of the men to be the start of anything like that.' I don't see how educating oneself how to vote would be making them a putter down of the men, said Dawn. Well, it's much the same thing, said Mrs. Bray, for if a woman educates herself on anything, it will show her that a lot of men want putting down, a long way down too. You'll see the men will think it's against them, and try to squash her and her society, for they're always frightened if you begin to learn the least thing you will find out how you're being imposed upon. But they don't care how much you learn in the direction of wearing yourself out and slaving to save money for them to spend on themselves. Oh, come now, laughed Dora. They're not all so bad as that. Not at your time of life when you're after the girls and pretending you're angels to catch em. It's after you've got em in your power that things change, said Mrs. Bray. The company was now further enlarged by the arrival of Ernest, soon followed by a young lady I had not previously met a tall, brown-eyed girl with pleasant determination in every line of her well-cut face, and who proved to be the young lady under discussion, Miss Ada Grosvenor, daughter of the owner of the farm adjoining Bray's and Clay's. Her errand was to invite Dawn to join the society she was promoting. She explained it was not for the support of a party, but for the exchange and search of knowledge that should direct electresses to exercise their long-withheld right in a worthy manner. I listened with pleasure to the thoughtful and earnest ideals to be discerned underlying the girl's practically expressed ideas, and delighted in the humorous intelligence flashing from her clear eyes, and was altogether favourably impressed with her as a type of womanhood, one of the best extant. She conversed with the older members of the party, and Ernest, and this left Dora Ewart in charge of Carrie and Dawn. His giggle was much in evidence. Between blasts of it he could be heard inviting the girls to pull on the river, and they presently set off round the corner of Miss Flipp's bedroom, leading to the flights of wooden steps, down to the boats under the naked willows. The nature of the one swift glance that travelled after them from Ernest's eyes did not escape my observation, so I suggested that he, Miss Grosvenor, and myself should follow a good example, and we did. I knew it would be a relief to him to overtake Eward, pull past him with ease, and leave him a speck in the distance, as he did. I felt a satisfaction in noting Dawn watch his splendid strokes, and Miss Grosvenor's animated conversation with him, and enthusiastically expressed admiration of his rowing. She was not so exacting in the matter of detail as Dawn, and red hair did not prevent her from enjoying the company of a splendid specimen of the opposite sex, when she had the rare good fortune of encountering him. "'That's a fine stamp of a girl,' he cordially remarked, as, having at her request pulled the boat to the edge of the stream, she landed and sprang up the bank for ferns. 
but not by any inveiglement could i induce him to give an opinion of dawn which was propitious of her being his real lady when we pulled downstream again between the fertile farmlands spread with occasional orange and lemon groves beautiful with their great crops of yellowing fruit we found that the other party were already deserting their craft we had to give it rest mr ewart soon got winded i never saw any one pull a boat so splendidly as you do mr ernest called the outspoken carrie who had not acquired the art of paying a compliment to one member of a party without running amuck of the feelings of another ewart despite his shapely and imposing bulk had not developed his athletic possibilities so much as those of the gourmand and reddening to the roots of his stubbed hair he looked the reverse of pleased with the tactless young woman an expression usually to be found on the countenance of one or more members of a company following the publication of her opinions miss grosvenor and ernest continued to chat with such apparent enjoyment that dawn said pointedly pooh there's no art in pulling a boat any galoot with a little brute force can do that a remark having the desired effect for the young breslaw feigned not to hear his face rivalled the colour of dora's and his remarks grew absent oh i don't know persisted carrie i know plenty of galoots they're the only sort of men there are in the Nanoon district and they can't row for sour apples dawn singled out dora ewart and went up the bank with him leaving the remainder of us together miss grosvenor favoured us with a cordial invitation to partake of the hospitality of her home during the following evening and delighted with the intelligence and go of the girl i was pleased to accept ernest said he would be delighted to escort me but carrie said she had her work to do and had no time to run about to people's places miss grosvenor received this with a merry twinkle in her eye and said to me well dawn will come to show you the way it is an uncomfortable path if you don't know it and with this she bade good afternoon and ran around the orchard among the square weed and wild quince across an area abounding in lines of barbed wire ernest too departed in a triangular direction leading to the curious old bridge spanning the stream what makes him hang around here so long asked carrie has he a girl in the district do you think he seems gone on dawn perhaps it's carrie no such luck i wish he were i suppose he has money they say over where he boards he has a set of rooms to himself and is very liberal what would he be doing up here so long he doesn't publish his business perhaps he's staying in this nice quiet nook to write a book or something i said idly by way of accounting for his idleness or the curious might have set to work to discover more of his doings than he wished to get abroad just then he doesn't look much like the fools that write books but every one is writing one these days i know of five or six about noon even it seems to be a craze perhaps a cycle I often wonder who is going to read em all and do the work this brought us to clay's carrie supporting me on her arm and thus ended her discourse dora stayed for tea but it was a dull meal as dawn now appeared desirous of repelling him andrew who on account of his drubbing had been very subdued during dinner had regained his usual form and when uncle jake to whom the freeing of women seemed an unabating irritation remarked who's this young walker all the women will be mad for him because he's good-looking and got a soft tongue they ought to stick to the present member who is known this other fellow hasn't been heard of his grand-nephew replied like uncle jake he's been in the municipal council fifteen years and never got heard of 
he ought to put up and see would the women go for him because he's never been heard of and is a bit good looking well there's one thing to his credit and that is he's lived over sixty years and never been heard of stealing fruit out of people's gardens and as for looks handsome is who handsome does said grandma which affected the collapse of andrew in the clay household there were ever-current reminders of the truth of the old proverb warning people in glass houses to abstain from stone-throwing dawn did not appear before me that night until i opened my door and called lady fair the kimono awaits thy perfumed presence i don't want to come to-night i feel as scotty as a bear with a sore head but i want you youth must ever give way to grey hairs with that she appeared and throwing herself backward on my bed thrust her arms crossly above her head amid a tumble of soft bright hair youth health beauty and lovers not lacking what excuse have you for being out of tune i want you to pilot me to tea at grosvenor's to-morrow evening miss grosvenor has invited you ernest and myself she just wants ernest she's terribly fond of the men well did you ever see a normal girl who wasn't and mr ernest is a man worth being fond of i dearly love him myself pooh i don't see anything nice about him said dawn aggressively but you'll come to tea won't you no i can't i never go to grosvenor's grandma doesn't care for them she says he was only a pig buyer and settled down there about the time she came here and now they try to ape the swells and put on airs they only come here to try to get on terms with some of the swell men i wouldn't take him over there to please her if i were you that's where you and i differ i would just like to please them and i am sure it will do ernest good to be in the company of such a pleasant and sensible girl as ada grosvenor yes he'd want something to do him good if i'm any judge dawn's pretty mouth and chin were so querulous that i had to turn away to smile so you won't come to tea i can't i'd like to please you she said somewhat softening but i've promised dora ewart i'll go out rowing with him again to-morrow he says he has something to say to me he's been going to say this something for a long time yes but i stave him off i know what it is right enough and i don't want to hear it but i suppose i had better please grandma so you like him no i detest him and feel like smacking him on the mouth just where his underlip sticks out farther than the top one every time he speaks but what am i to do i'd never be let go on the stage and i might as well marry him as any one why marry any one at nineteen or ninety for that matter there is no imperative to hurry to marry a man you dislike because you cannot attain your ambition is surely very silly indeed would you not love dora if you could go on the stage i wouldn't be seen in a forty-acred paddock with him i'd like some man who had travelled not an old australian thing just living about here i'd like an englishman who'd take me home to england you mustn't disparage your countryman while i'm listening as you'll find no better in any country or clime always remember they were among the first to enfranchise their women and thus raise them above the status of chattledom and merchandise they only gave us the vote because they had to women have had to crawl to them for it and pretend it was a great privilege the sweet darling almighties were allowing us when all the time it has been our right and they were selfish cowards who deserve no thanks for withholding it so long and they gave it that grudgingly and are that knocked about it it makes me sick of course when the matter is stripped to bare facts the truth of your remarks is irrefutable 
but we must gauge things comparatively and remember how many other nations won't even grudgingly free their women if you don't like you would i can't see any pressing necessity to think of marriage at all oh well i'd have it done then and wouldn't be everlasting plagued on the subject she said with the unreasonableness of irritability would it not be better though to wait a little while in hopes of a better choice but i suppose it will always be the same any man at all worth consideration is sure to be married or at any rate is engaged here was the clue to her irritation it was that imaginary young lady of ernest breslaw's had she been a man ere this she would have plunged into vigorous attempt to dislodge that or any other rival no matter how assured his position but being a woman and compelled to await the idiot chance her imperial fate the effect of such suppression on so robust and strenuous a nature was this form of hysteria well what about a struggle for the desire of your heart undoubtedly you have if well trained sufficient voice to be a great asset on the stage but it would take at the very least two years hard work under a good master before it would be in the least fit for public use i'd be twenty-one then you are just at a good age to stand vigorous training but what's the use of talking she said hopelessly you don't know how mad grandma is against the stage she says she'd rather see me in my grave and i feel i'd never prosper if i went against her very likely her point of view is founded on hard facts but training your voice isn't going on the stage and in two years if you are able to sing decently perhaps no one will be so anxious as your grandma that you should be heard i've heard of such a case before and i didn't add that two years was a long way ahead for an old woman of seventy-six and also for a girl to whom study was not quite a fetish and ample time for the or some night to have come to the rescue these thoughts were not for publication as they might have made me appear a traitor to the prejudices of one party and the desire of the other whereas i was loyal to them both it would be lovely if you could get on the soft side of grandma but i'm afraid it's impossible fancy being able to sing and please people and travel about in nice cities away from dusty dreary slow old noon said the girl the crossness melting from her pretty face and giving place to radiance she toyed with some silk scarves of mine and between whiles said isn't it funny some people think one thing good and others don't no one around here wants to be on the stage but me or seems to understand that actresses are made out of ordinary people like you and me dora doesn't know anything about the stage but mr ernest does he doesn't think them terrible women and says that his best woman friend was an actress once if you thought grandma could be brought round at all i wouldn't go out with dora tomorrow. i'd go with you and get out of it mr ernest seemed very pleased with ada grosvenor is she the same style as his young lady the question wasn't asked because dawn was transparent but because i had led her to believe i was dense no not at all i replied what is she like she's about five feet five and has a plump dimpling figure her hair is bright brown and her nose is an exquisitely cut little straight one here i observed dawn casting surreptitious glances in the mirror opposite her eyes are bright blue with long dark lashes and she has a mouth too pretty to describe fitted up with a set of the loveliest natural teeth one could see in these days of the dentist 
it is so perfect that it seems unnatural and a sad pity that it should sometimes be the outlet of censorious remarks about less beautiful sisters but its owner is very young and not surrounded by the best of influences at present and no doubt will have a better sense as she grows older what's her name now you want to know too much but i never knew another girl with such a beautiful one she must be a beauty altogether said dawn rather satirically she would be if she would only guard against being cross at times but you must not breathe this to a soul as i am only going on supposition young ernest isn't engaged to her but i've seen him with her once or twice and he looked so pleased that i suspected him of kind regards as no man could help admiring her is that all she said in a tone of relief he mightn't care for her at all just walking about with her and looking happy isn't any criterion men are always doing that with every girl dora didn't look happy with me tonight then how do you account for that she accounted for it with a merry laugh as curled in the silk kimono she remained in possession of my nightly couch i was espousing this girl's cause because i could not bear to see her honest wholesome youth and beauty making fuel for disappointment and bitterness as mine had done there had been no one to help me attain the desire the innocent just and normal desire of my girlhood's heart no one to lend a hand till my heart had broken with slavery and disappointment and at less than thirty-five all that remained for me was a little barren waiting for its feeble fluctuating pumping to cease the girl presently fell asleep so i covered her kimono and all and extinguishing the light lay down beside what had once been a tiny baby whose feeble life opening with the day had been nurtured on the milk of old ladybird the spotted cow with a dewlap and a crumpled horn she was now i trusted enjoying the reward of her earthly labours in that best of heavens we love to picture for the dear animals that have served us well and but for whose presence the world would be dreary indeed while the sleep of her beautiful foster-daughter had advanced to hold dreams of jewelled gowns thrilling solos travel and splendid young husbands who could do no wrong but she knew no room for thought of dora who on the morrow was to row her on the noon he might as well have relinquished the chase for his chances here had grown as faint as those of pretty dora cowper whose leg he classically stated he had pulled had grown with him ah oh, well there is a law of retribution in all things direct or indirect visible or invisible i lay awake a long time contemplating the best way of approaching grandma clay in regard to dawn's singing lessons one by one the passenger trains streamed into nanoon halted a panting five minutes at the station then rumbled over the strange old iron-walled bridge slowed down again to the little siding of kangaroo on the other side from whence up up the mountain sides above the fertile valley leaving the peaceful agriculturalists soundly asleep after their toil the heavy goods lumbered by unceasingly the throbbing of their great engines their signalling shunting and tooting providing a perennial delight to me comforting me with the knowledge that i still could feel a pulsation from the great population centres where my fellows congregate it had lulled me to doziness when i was aroused by the electric alarm bell the purpose of which was to warn folk when a train neared the bridge a very necessary device as there was but one bridge for all traffic 
it being cut into two departments by three high iron walls that shut out an exquisite view of the river and confined and intensified the rumble of trains in a manner well calculated to inspire the least imaginative of horses with the fear that the powers of evil had broken loose about them the alarm-bell was humanly contrary in the discharge of its duty and rang long and loudly when there was no train and was not to be heard at all when they were rushing by in numbers on this occasion there being no train to drown its blatant voice it so disturbed me that i was keenly alive to a dialogue that was proceeding in miss flipp's room you must go away i tell you said mr paunch a nice thing it would be if a man in my position were implicated i didn't think a man of your class would be so cruel sobbed the girl in rejoinder the man admitted one of the truths by which our civilization is besmirched there's only one class of men in dealing with women like you then fell a silence during which dawn turned in her sleep and i placed her head more comfortably lest she should awake and hear what was proceeding not that it would in any way have sullied her for her virtue by sound heredity and hardy training was no hothouse plant liable to shrivel and die if not kept in a certain temperature but was a sturdy tree like the tall white-trunked young gums of her native forests on which the winds of knowledge could blow and the rains of experience fall without in any way mutilating or impairing its reliability and beauty it was for the sake of our poor sister wayfarer who was on a terrible thoroughfare amid robbers and murderers but who did not want her plight to be known that i did not wish dawn to awake End of chapter thirteen